Hello and welcome to Kicking Tires. My name is Jimmy. And I'm Justin. And today, this show is sponsored by Porsche. Not not really, but it, it's going to feel like it, because we got a lot of Porsche news to share. Yeah, not too much else going on in the industry. Porsche is keeping it fresh. You know, last week we had the new uh, Touring model GD3, and this week we've got a lot of Porsche news again. Um, first up is the Cayenne... What is this? The Turbo S Coupe? Turbo Coupe? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure they can stack every name onto it. Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, they're all turbos <laughs> now, and they're all... Well, you can either choose a coupe or a, or a uh, the traditional SUV variant. Um, yeah, new SUV record. 738.9. 7 minutes, 38 seconds. Like, that is huge. Because that is, uh, that's three seconds faster than the previous record, which was set by the RSQ8 pretty recently. Uh, now, this is not like just like uh, off the showroom lot kind of car. It, it does have a roll cage and better P0 Corsa tires. Those are basically a track-specific tire. And it's got a racing seat. So there's definitely weight savings there and rigidity added and way better tires. But it's still really impressive for something that heavy, because even though it looks sleek and it's a coupe, it's still quite substantial in terms of weight. Uh, it's still Cayenne after all. It's not a small mm-hmm. car. It's not a K- uh, Macan. So um, just yeah. just to put a little bit of context to 738. So 738 may not mean a lot to some people. Uh, but just to put a little bit of context, 738, it's the same time as like uh, a, four, a Ferrari 458 Italia, the Lexus LFA, um, the F90s M5. It's faster than an F430, a 911 Turbo, 997 generation, definitely a little bit older, like even faster than a Bugatti Veyron. Yeah, and remember back <laughs> in the day, about 12 years ago when the R35 generation GTR came out, 738 was a time that broke the internet. Everyone was like, there's no way this car can do 738. <laughs> and people were debating it. And there, there might've been a little bit of cheating going on, you know, with the, with the tires and with the interior and stuff like that. But that was over a decade ago. And so things have advanced in terms of tire technology and overall engineering and just the power delivery. And yeah, 738 a decade ago only was you know reserved for top tier sports cars, supercars, and that sort. Um, it's still a super respectable time today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let alone that it's an SUV that has so, decent trunk space and whatnot. Here, here's my take on it. Um, Sure, it's really, really fast, but who's buying a Porsche Cayenne Turbo to take it to the track? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I just don't feel like, like, yes, it's very fast. It's super cool, but it's like just full bragging rights at this point. It's not it so much like, hey, I got a fast car that I'm going to take to the track because yeah like, no it this is still a rodeo drive kind of car <laughs> like it's a beverly hills sugar mama kind of car you're it's you're still... you're much better off picking up a gt3 or just a 911 just the regular one and then you pick up a regular porsche cayenne e-hybrid to have maximum efficiency around town you know, yeah, a better no, two car about being practical. At, <laughs> at the end of the day, these are two hundred thousand dollar plus super SUVs, and so it is impressive because the Cayenne is kind of like, I don't want to say it's like the everyman Porsche, but you do see a decent amount of them, right? It's, well, here in Vancouver, it's just inevitable. Yeah, like it's a decent <laughs> seller, and you know we've got super SUVs out there as well. You know, from Aston Martin. Lamborghini's got theirs, Audi's got theirs. So for Cayenne to kind of set the benchmark, I think that's that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, as far as performance SUVs go, you know, BMW's got all theirs, AMG's got got a bunch. And yeah, this is this is the one to beat, which is I think that's that's huge. So um, 
it's actually nine seconds faster than the Lamborghini Urus, which is pretty substantial. I don't yeah. know how prepped that Urus is. Um, if it's done by Sport Auto, they like to do them like showroom stock. Hmm. Uh, so the, the ones done by Horse von Sarma, those are all stock cars as stock as possible. So this one definitely has some advantage. Now, the thing about tracking an SUV, I do see them from time to time. I do see a Macan or a Cayenne or an X5M on track. Uh, even at the local courses, people will take these out. The thing you have to note if you're tracking these is is the wear and tear on a 5,000 pound vehicle is insane. Hmm. Like, of course, you're talking about someone who can afford to take a $200,000 SUV to the track, but it's just, it's not as enjoyable just because of, um, you know, how, how much stress that does to the car and how, how quickly t tires wear, brakes, brake fluid. Brake fluid technology has not really advanced in, in a decade, right? Tires have gone, you know, you can shave a lot of time with modern tires, but uh, brake fluid has not changed that much. And physics at the end of the day still applies. <laughs> there, there's, you know, there's great brakes on these carbon ceramics, big, huge brakes with lots of cooling. But even then, it's still not going to be as good and as how you say reproducible as if you were to take a 911 or a Cayman because this car can do it you know can set a pretty respectable time but how many laps can it do it for yeah and that's one of the things that you know the track day specials that's where that's where they differ we're not talking about magazine times we're talking about real world how consistent are you how's the average joe gonna run in it and stuff like that that I think matters more in terms of sports cars uh, is, yeah, how how much can you repeat that? Because if it's a one-lap wonder, that doesn't really mean anything in the real world. Um, yeah, I think the, the cornering level of these, these SUVs are insane now. And it's barely an SUV. Like, it's so close to the ground. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's really not an SUV. It's yeah. just a... It's just a car with slightly more headroom. That's that's what it comes down to. Now. Yeah, decent trunk, <laughs> decent back seat. Well, uh, but not, the ground clearance of a you Camry, basically. You don't really get that much trunk space in this specific one. The coupe's got a roll cage too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't even carry any people in the back. It's uh, it's pretty useless as an SUV standpoint. <laughs> yeah, not much of an SUV, but uh, you know something that's completely not an SUV. How about uh, the new, well, not even the new, the new record set by the GT2 RS. Uh, I believe this is the 991 generation GT2 RS. Let's click over to the next slide. <laughs> uh, so six minutes, 43. So that's almost one minute faster than the Cayenne Turbo Coupe. One minute faster than the uh, RS Q8. So this is the next level. This is, this is, uh, insane like 643 again these are those times that every manufacturer is trying to one-up each other in this sub 650 range um previously we were looking at 647 but with this uh gd2 rs with the new michelin sport cup 2r tires so the r is really important technically a street legal tire but Take that with a grain of salt. I've driven on the Sport Cup 2. Sport Cup 2, I guess it is pretty streetable. You do pick up like every rock and it doesn't last very long. But, uh, and you definitely don't want to park it in sub zero temperatures. But yeah, technically a street legal DOT tire with a 643. So that's, that's huge. Um, and that seems to be the tire that everyone is setting their records on. Uh, AMG GT that they've got the new black series AMG GT setting that kind of time 643 now one thing Porsche mentioned is that this 643 this is based on a different lap or a racetrack configuration they said that if you go on the old configuration that's another four or five seconds so technically this is huge like but here's the thing with both the Cayenne and the GT2 and 
every other car that that builds it for Nurburgring lap times, I hate using Nurburgring lap times as a benchmark. I think there's there's just too many turns. You can't reproduce it because they are. It tends to favor that one lap wonder. You have one driver. You know, you mess up a corner slightly and you throw off your whole lap, and that's how that's how lapping is essentially. And I think the Nurburgring is just not scientific or empirically repeatable enough to say that that is the time. That's why we're seeing such a big variance with just tires and just weather and just so many variables that, that come into play. That's why I don't like the Nurburgring. I much prefer like a much shorter track, like a Laguna Seca or something like that. That's sub two minutes, but you can run five of those in 10 minutes and you can just see, okay, we can take the best of that. Um, and from there, I think it's more valuable to me. I don't, I don't care as much if it could do one really fast lap because I, that to me, I can't reference how that is compared to another car because another car, different day, different weather, it all matters. <laughs> and that's the problem with the Nürburgring. And I don't support kind of this arms race with Nürburgring lap times. No, it uh, totally makes sense. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of variables. With mm-hmm. this many corners, I mean, even the best drivers can't have the same repeat kind of lap times in that long of a course. In a shorter track like Laguna Seca, I mean, even Laguna isn't like even like super short, but they're able to produce more, yeah, like just consistent lap times in that than they would do on the ring. Yeah, because I can run five minutes, or not five minutes, I can run five laps at mission and be within 0.1 seconds lap after lap after lap. So that gives me a really good reference of what kind of times I'm running in whatever car I'm running that day. And same with guys that are running at Laguna. They're running the same time lap after lap. If you can run within a 0.1 or 0.2 second uh, difference lap after lap, that is that is like pretty solid as far as uh, where that car really performs. You know, if you have one lap that's a fluke, it's, it, I don't know. To me, I take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that the car that technically lapped the number going two seconds slower is actually slower because it's just, there's too much there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I 100% agree. It's, it's more like, hey, it can do it. Here's a record, but it doesn't really provide much to the average buyer. And speaking of the average buyer, we got some updates to the regular 911 lineup. Yeah, the new GTS model. So, uh, so far, we've had up until this point for 992, we've had the Carreras, obviously. We've had the Turbo. We've seen the GT3 and a touring model of the GT3, and a Turbo S. So GTS was introduced, um, I guess it was the previous generation, 991. Yeah. And uh, with that one, it's kind of the value pack as far as like all the performance upgrades at a kind of bundle price um, is kind of how you can look at it. And you can see this with the Caymans as well. Uh, the Cayman GTS right now, with the four liter is quite the performance bargain because you can't even get your hands on a GD four without getting bent over backwards by the dealership. <laughs> um, you know, GD four lures you in with what seems like a reasonable MSRP, but you cannot buy it for that price uh, until you've lost a lot of money to the dealership uh, and earned your spot in line for that car. But the GTS model for the Cayman, you get the more powerful engine, you got the better brakes and, uh, a bunch of other performance things that that if you were to option a Cayman S up, you're you're there already. But because it's a GTS, when it comes time to resell it and anything, technically it is a higher tier car. Um, so that's kind of how we have the 992 generation GTS, right? So GTS is available in the Carrera rear wheel drive configuration, uh, Carrera 4 and the Targa 4. So Targa 4 has got that funky sunroof kind of thing that gives you that open top experience um, 
with the little hoop behind. Now with the GTS model, the hoop is all black. And that's kind of the theme with GTS. And GTS so far with the all the models that have come before, both uh, the Cayenne's got a GTS. Uh, every, I think pretty much every Porsche has a GTS at some point. So this is, uh, I guess, a year or two after the original 992 debuted. Now we have this model, which is just a slight boost to what you get from a base Carrera. So extra 30 horsepower, which is not that much considering these are turbo cars now. So squeezing an extra 30 horsepower, like th that was on the table. I don't know if there's actually any mechanical and internal differences with this engine. Probably not. Yeah, and so that's kind of eh, okay. Whatever, 30 horsepower. You may or may not feel that. Um, it's a three liter flat six. And it carries over a lot of the upgrades that you get on the turbo, the the actual turbo, not to not to be confused because they're all turbos now, <laughs> uh, but the turbo turbo. Um, <laughs> so that I love includes how, the. I love how we have to like say specifically it's the turbo turbo one, like the one with the actual turbo badge in the back, not just yeah. the one with the turbo on the engine. Yeah. Having a turbo, and then it gets more confusing when you talk about the electric cars that have turbo, <laughs> the hybrids. Yeah, but basically we're getting the center lock wheels, so saves a little bit of weight. It's very motorsports oriented in that sense. It just makes your car that much harder to service. <laughs> but uh, because of that, you're also getting the turbo brakes. So it's built to a higher spec you know you have to remind, remember the turbo's got 100 horsepower more than this a lot more weight and so having the brakes and suspension off of the turbo onto a car that's lighter and with less power it is a good thing mm -hmm. um yeah you're also getting the sport exhaust as standard and PASM, which is Porsche's active suspension kind of thing. Uh, and they're going to be available in both the PDK and the seven-speed manual. So you're not stuck with, uh, you can have it either way, which that might be the way of the future for all 911s ever since the news from last week, which was about the exhaust noise. Um, so you've updated it. You can now buy uh, a manual uh, 911 in California. Nice. Yeah, they finally uh, slapped some sense into them, I guess. They're like, this is an archaic rule <laughs> that doesn't actually... There's no real-world difference in Not terms of what what kind of volume that exhaust is generating. Uh, another thing for the GTS that is available is the lightweight design package. So lightweight design package that saves up to they say up to 25 kilograms i don't know why it's up to and not a specific number i think it's because it depends on the um if it's a coupe or the targa oh the targa yes because of the rear window yeah um so yeah lightweight design package carbon buckets but carbon buckets are technically available in all porsches pretty much all two doors at least um so that's nothing new there but those seats do save a decent amount of weight I'm surprised it's only 25 kilograms because we're talking about not only the carbon buckets, but also lighter weight rear and side windows and a lighter weight battery. So I guess it's a lithium battery and a rear seat delete um, because you couldn't do that yourself, apparently. It's just two bolts, I think. I'm, I think I'm sure they give you some sort of shelf now. Inside. Yeah, a shelf would be nice. <laughs> yeah. The rear seats in a 911 really don't weigh anything because they're... They're not meant to be used by anyone. So there's like, it's like the size of a binder and it weighs maybe like about the, about a as much as a binder. A combined, a, a full binder, <laughs> granted, not, not an empty one off the shelf, but a full one. Um, probably like five or six pounds there for both seats. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, parcel much. shelf works. So, I mean, in a sense, the parcel shelf would, would make more sense because you can use that to, now to store stuff. Uh, because humans don't really fit back there anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, GTS, not, nothing too surprising here. It is kind of, we know what Porsche does with their GTS models. It's just kind of re refreshing the the namesake of the Carreras and just gives you another way to spec out your Porsche because there's, there's 
so many different trim levels now and you can really have it your way like they get they let they let you get the rear wheel drive or four wheel drive they let you get uh, a hard top or the uh, target top and you can get different power levels because the base 911 is quite i guess modest in terms of the power i think it's under 400 horsepower which for 911 in 2021 is kind of low yeah I here's the thing for me, um, the GTS model. The one the, the one thing that doesn't make sense is the GTS is supposed to be the one that's a little bit more edgy, a little bit lighter. But then they get you the Targa. The Targa is like pretty heavy. Yeah. It's like it just doesn't mix with the GTS vibe in my books. You know what I mean? Just because it is a heavier vehicle. Um, but I personally love the Targa because I've seen it in action. I love how that dome like comes up and it just looks super cool. Um, absolutely, you know, useless and nowhere near as good as a full on convertible or full on coupe because, you know, it's, it's kind of the middle of both, but it just looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. With the, it looks good with the top up or down or close yeah. or open. Um, Fair point. The Targa, I think the Targa really took off with the 991 generation. Yeah. And people were like, you know, the Cabrio looks awkward almost. And I think going with the Targa really helped. It keeps that, it maintains that same roof line and the overall same profile, but it just cleans yeah. things up a little bit. Well, I mean, the older Targas weren't really a Targa, anyways. It was just a glass roof that can for the 993 to 997 yes yeah uh yeah prior to that we did have real targets like traditional (laughs) one piece roof and then yeah later on it became the convertible with a sunroof yeah just Uh, a bigger summer that's a fixed kind of sunroof yeah glass top it um still looks cool in my books i actually really like them yeah, yeah, no, I, I think even the 993, 993 Targa is like, like you look at it, and you're like there's something different. Like if you don't know anything about cars and you look at 993 Targa and you're like, why does that coupe look a little bit different? Like it's not just a panoramic sunroof, yeah. but it's because it's based off of uh, the Cabrio. So it has a slightly different look to it. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. I think having a GTS version of the Targa uh, is okay it's Mm. um you know it's still the sportier edgier version of that because a targa is is a boat compared to the regular coupe so just kind of bringing it up to pace and yeah the regular carrera so the 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 carrera s is at 444 horsepower this is 30 more than that and then the base carrera is 385 Mm. or no 380 380 which is really not that much because like cars like the the 340i and you know s4 s5 those are those are in that range so it's not crazy in terms of power now obviously with the power delivery and the pdk it does get a lot out of that 380 horse but it is just 380 horse for over a hundred and something grand i don't they also like kind of downplay their power as well as their acceleration levels oh yeah porsche has always uh understated their their power levels and their zero to 60 times given the power to weight of the vehicle is always better than most of its competition right yeah i think it's also a benefit of having that much weight over the rear wheels yeah yeah makes total sense Mm -hmm. but let's get back to reality these uh well you know some people can afford porsche 911s i can't so let's talk about the tundra that's actually i <laughs> the one you that i'm looking at i probably either. can't afford this one either the trd pro version yeah so what happened with the tundra why did toyota leak this so <laughs> so toyota had a massive leak on her hands or so they said um or it could be just a pr kind of experiment um, so they uh they had the the tundra leaked in a photo and everyone got a hold of it there was leaks all over the web and it was just like a blurry image of the tundra and while it looked good and you know people were just speculating on whatever there was toyota's like hey you know we got a sieve here why not just you know get rid of the sieve and show you exactly what it looks like 
So Toyota themselves has given us the full look on the Tundra itself. So like here it is, but not giving you any details whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but same with the engine and all that stuff. Yeah. So here are some things that we can assume looking at this one. This is definitely the TRD Pro. So this is the top trim. It actually says that on the uh, the hood louvers on the side. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit like Silverado um, Trail, Trail Boss. Boss. Yeah, AT4 kind of look. It's like that blocky, chunky look. Um, the wheels are kind of weird. It's kind of like a six spoke, but kind of hollow. The light bar that's integrated underneath the Toyota badge is also kind of weird not sure how a little legal, bit out of place yeah not sure how legal that would be because i know generally speaking light bars you have to have a cover on it for it to be legal so not sure exactly where that's going there's also auxiliary lights on the lower grill as well and that's not like the daytime running lights because the daytime running light is part of the headlight so there's a lot of lighting up front including mm. the the three lights that probably this doesn't need because it probably isn't that wide so the lights is kind of like the corner i don't know so 80 inches is the rule of thumb i guess Mm. uh that's why the raptor has those grill lights and this trd pro looks like it has a little bit more fender flare going on that might be what pushes it beyond that number i don't think it's 80 i just don't think it's raptor width it looks way bigger than the current uh tundra yeah um i did notice one thing it's got six lug wheels now hopefully Hmm. that's that was a weird thing about the the tundra and the sequoia beforehand well one of the weird things about that truck uh, (laughs) is that it has its own fitment and its own bolt pattern that not really anyone used and going to the six by 139 if that's what they're doing, that's going to bring it in line with the Tacoma, all the Lexus trucks, Land Cruiser, and also GM's trucks also use that bolt pattern. So um, makes be, sense. Like, just bring it to six lug. It'll be easier to, for you to find some fuel wheels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the old one, it was weird because the fitment, the offset was like in the 50s. Um, oh, on a truck. So, so, yeah. And most truck wheels come in... They, start around 20 but they're usually around zero offset right and so the the old tundra was really awkward to fit now one thing i noticed with this one the fender the wheel wells are cut very square like the gm trucks right i don't like that look and it hurts your ability to put bigger tires on it Mm. generally um ram has always been really good for putting bigger tires on ford's been okay with that gm has by far been the worst like if you need to put a big tire on a gm anything maybe more than an inch you're gonna have to lift it like six inches and Mm -hmm. make the the truck unusable and just drive completely wrong and square fenders just wheels are round right (laughs) wait they're what (laughs) i don't know why square fenders became a thing and i mean to be fair they're not perfectly square but uh they're more it's more that macho look i guess right a rounded fender a lot of times is kind of more yeah just you don't you don't want a rounded vehicle when it's kind of a squared off body which this vehicle has a lot of like that front bumper there's like very angular. It, it has a Thanos chin on that. That's that's it's, what it looks like. <laughs> I don't think it's a it's a pretty truck by any means. And the Toyota grill is is huge. Like the Toyota badge going across the front. That's at least what three feet long. <laughs> it, <laughs> like it looks huge. wide. It definitely looks it's, wide. It's it's a wide one. And uh, speaking of wide, the uh, infotainment got slightly leaked so toyota's just messing around with us now yeah they are so there's a not a leaked but uh uh a teaser photo that they posted of the interior of the tundra so we can see not much more than the front windshield from the inside we see a little bit of the steering wheel which has this red stripe on top so it's like a raptor so you know exactly where your wheel is pointing or a Porsche 911 GT3 RS, because, you know, it's exactly the same thing. Um, There's a really wide infotainment screen that has CarPlay on there. 
And from what I can see, that CarPlay is on wireless. Um, and how I can see that is the little signal on it. It looks like it's a, like the, the wireless charging pad signal rather than a plug-in signal. That's what it looks like, but it's so hard to see because it's tiny. Yeah. Uh, but it does look like it's a widescreen, like a, a 10 and a quarter or so inch screen. And it sticks quite high up, um, which I think is nice because the RAM, a lot of it is going, like most of what's going on is down or down low-ish. Same with the F-150. They're, they're yeah. a little bit lower set. This one's got the tablet style that we're seeing in a lot of passenger cars that just brings it all up a little bit, which I guess a little bit less distracting. Um, I don't know. Some people have different takes on that. I don't mind the stick-up screen at all, mm. but I know some people like that cleaner, flush look. So I talked to a friend of mine who does a lot of off-roading, and in his Foreigner, he actually put like a, an auxiliary GPS, not like a Garmin thing. It's one that's designed for off-road so that you can map out trails and whatnot. He was saying that because of this design, he may not be able to have that mounted on top. So he doesn't like it that much, actually. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. other areas. I mean, this is a huge truck. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's many more places you can stick it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a Tundra. I mean, the Tundra... Tundra is an important truck because, like I said before, this truck is here to stay, like really here to stay. Like they don't update it for a decade. So they've got to get it right. Yeah. And it seems like they're, they're really making us excited about this truck. I think, I think it's working. Like, yeah. I, I do care about what is going into this truck. I really care what engine is going in. I think it's, it's going to shake things up for a bit because for the last few years, I mean, we kind of, you kind of don't have a choice with the Japanese manufacturers. Like, I, if you want a half ton, I don't think you really, a lot of people would, would buy a Japanese brand um, because of where Ford and, and Chrysler or Ram are positioned. Like, I, I don't see any reason to buy a Tundra, but this one this one might do it yeah i mean definitely helps them uh because looking at the current one it's not attractive it really isn't the interior there's nothing about it i mean the titan when that got refreshed it, that was a slight refresh it still made it more attractive than yeah you know but to the, take buyers away from the domestic brands that so is hard. what you need i think that the tundra <clears throat> the current gen tundra back in 08 did manage that for a little bit right but then they start giving up on that that truck and that's what happened is that 5.7 that's in there now and back then for 15 years ago that that 5.7 is awesome like it's it's really decent on gas i just drove my friends yesterday actually still gets like 17.5 18 liters under k which for that type of truck, it's it's good and it's fast. Like it's it feels um, peppier than my uh, Coyote. I um, that's seventeen and a half. Jeez, for a V eight. I mean, we're comparing okay. with the Hemi, with the uh, with the I, Coyote. I I've uh, driven the Silverado, not Silverado. The uh, oh, the GM stuff is way better on gas. The GMC, whatever that's called, is missing like the I'm five point three. I know uh, there was a 62 six that I two drove with the, the cylinder Denali. deactivation. <laughs> yeah, I I drove from my house which is in Vancouver to Coquitlam. Not super far. It was like 50 40 kilometers or so. Not not super far. Yeah. Um I averaged 10 point something. It was under 11 liters for 100 kilometers. I mean, I was being super careful. Yeah. But all city like under 11 liters for 100 kilometers. I was astonished from what a 6.2 liter V8 got me. Yeah, because it's functioning more like a two liter four cylinder <laughs> if you drive it lightly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, fair enough as, and even my five liter V8 gets, if I drive it gently, it gets 16. Factory, it got 15. Before I put on the tires and spacers and all that so shit. So before you ruin it. Yeah, before I, I ruined it, like I did with my RAV4, <laughs> it was getting 15, like pretty consistently. 
15, I think, for that big of a vehicle with almost 400 horsepower, like, it's really good. reasonable. Yeah. It's pretty good. But I think 17 is still reasonable for a 15 year old oh, engine. Then. Yeah. And absolutely. It's a 15 year old engine that will last you uh, million a, million, a million miles. Yeah. Because the 6.2 has been super problematic. The latest <laughs> the latest iteration of that 62 that GMs <laughs> that's going in the uh the Escalades, the Yukons, that one is not holding up. Um hmm. a lot of engineering issues with them, valves going through the block. It's that's that would not belong. make it to a million. Yeah. <laughs> that one for sure a lot of people are having issues with them. Um the 5.3 is kind of the smarter choice, I would say. Even though it doesn't sound like it on paper, you know, it's barely... The 6.2 is... You're not taking a real hit on fuel economy, but mm. just if you want a reliable work truck, the 5.3 is enough. And I think that's why some... I think the Trail Boss, you can only get in a 5.3? You, or did they I change think, that? I think they changed that you can get it with the 6.2 now. I could be wrong. They They keep changing things up. At, uh, yeah, Chevy, yeah. So it's but hard the five three is is just fine. Like it, it, and it still does a cylinder deactivation. And I drove that five three, and it gets like thirteen something. Like if you drive it nicely, um, not so good when it tows though. That's, no. that's one thing I noticed. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on to the QX sixty. This was released today. Um, this of course is the, like the bread and butter for infinity. Mm -hmm. Um, they've been selling a lot of cars, but nowhere near as much as this, the Q two X 60 is based off the pathfinder and it's exactly the same here. No real difference in terms of that, but this is, this has to be successful for them for infinity to, to even keep, survive <laughs> to, to survive. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I want to talk about a few things, but first of all, looks. Um, the front end is, of course, very Infinity. You got the Infinity grill, the piano key LED headlights. It looks good. It definitely has that Infinity vibe. Uh, very similar to the QX55, in my opinion, on the front end, which is gorgeous. I love the styling. The side is bland. It's super bland. <laughs> it's a you, Nissan. It's, a it's, pillar to D pillar with that black roof. That is 100% just there's there's nothing there to make it an infinity and that's the sad truth about the side and what i don't like about it is the plastic body cladding that it has so <gasps> around the wheels you it's hard to see but it's plastic um the qx60 from before it was all body colored even though the pathfinder was all body colored yeah by tacking on this plastic i know it gives it a little bit more of that rugged suv vibe but it but cheapens the the <laughs> overall look of the vehicle for me. Yeah, there's nothing that's really meant to be rugged on this on this SUV. No. And so body color, you're, you're right. Body color would make sense. Uh, gloss black, I feel like would be a lot of designers would want to go gloss black, yeah. but I I would advise against it. Um, <laughs> I would take the plastic over the gloss black. Yeah, the plastic yeah. over gloss black, personally, absolutely. Um, even if it's like a dual tone, like a, a high gloss gray, I wouldn't mind that mm. much. Um, and then we get to the back where, I'm sorry, it just doesn't look enough difference compared to the Pathfinder. I mean, it, it is different, absolutely, but it's not enough of a difference. And then what's with these chrome things on the bottom? <laughs> they're not, they don't resemble exhausts at all. Like they're, <laughs> I kind <laughs> of think of what they remind me of. I want to say like, it looks like something in the kitchen. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't they, look automotive to me. They don't belong there by any means. You have a exhaust just uh, on the passenger side there. So it points down. I don't know what this is supposed to be. Maybe a skid plate, but it definitely doesn't look the part. You do have a hitch in the middle. Chances is you'll be towing exactly the same as the Pathfinder, which is more than it ever towed before, thanks to that nine-speed automatic rather than the CVT that it had before. Mm -hmm. But I, okay, I, so it is super bland, but I think it looks handsome. Like I think th this design will age well, and. I don't think it's 
it's ugly, but you're right. It is very similar to the Pathfinder. And that's kind of been Infinity's downfall is that so far, Nissan's up their interior game so much that there's really no point buying an Infinity anymore. <laughs> you're getting the same Bose sound system. It's not like it's not like Toyota where okay, you can't get some of that that high-end feature with a Toyota that you have to get it on a Lexus, but Nissan's basically giving you everything. You can get the 360 cameras, you can get all that. Uh, and yeah, this the steering wheel is exactly the same. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I love, I love how you brought up the interior because that's exactly where I was going. This is the exact same steering wheel other than the grip around as well as the Infinity logo in the center as the Nissan Rogue. It's the exact same one. You got the exact same buttons. Behind that, you got the exact same screen. It, it's very similar to like the Nissan models. And then the infotainment, thank you for going away from the dual screen that you had in every other Infinity. I love that. But it's the exact same system as the Nissan ones. Nothing wrong with it, but it's just when you're paying more money than a Pathfinder, I, I was hoping for a little bit more. Now, don't get me wrong. The interior is absolutely beautiful especially in this dual tone brown and black you get stitched leather across you get real wood like there's a lot of good things in this autograph edition so that's uh that's a special thing but i noticed the seats they look paper thin okay i know why because of the third row the front seats look good and that's going to be your zero gravity seats which i'm a big fan of but the second seats, you're right. They do look very thin. They're like minivan thin. Like, yeah, and when I go captain's chairs on my second row for a three-row SUV, I want that to be like executive level, especially if you're going to call this the autograph trim, right? Like yeah. think, think Range Rover autobiography, right? How upgraded that second row seat is. This seat is, uh, at least by the looks of it, it just doesn't look premium enough yeah and if i want that luxury brand and the luxury feel i want to have a more substantial seat and then you look uh c pillar back and the trim is just they gave up on it they <laughs> the the c pillar back is a pathfinder yeah um, it definitely looks very pathfinder-esque it like the the photo that they have in press it even has like shiny plastic you know what i mean like the plastics mm-hmm. look cheap, even in photos, compared to that second row. Yeah, I. The third row is an afterthought, and it it needs to be more than that because this doesn't even measure up second row and back to the Palisade or pretty much yeah. Like the new MDX any, looks really good as well. Yeah, no, MDX has always been uh, the competitor to this. MDX is pretty solid uh update and yeah infinity i know it's just budgeting <laughs> like but yeah. yeah there's there's less and less i don't know i've never been an infinity guy it's never made sense to me the brand and i've never really felt the need for it i i don't think it will be around in 10 years hmm. i think even the dealerships are gone like think about it like yeah, dealerships don't want to support this brand. I mean, some of them probably signed some contract. You have to, uh, but they're they're fading away because who wants to service this brand and sell this brand if there's no money to be made? Your sales guys are not happy because they you can't lie through your teeth that much because people <laughs> they see Lexus, they see Acura, they it's just you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of sad, and it's just it's a seven and the six seater configuration, actually. I mean, the the third row looks like it could take a third. So here's the thing: if it was a Pathfinder, there'll be a seat in the center because it's an Infinity. What they did is they put a tray in the middle, and they took out the middle headrest. They're very similar seats to yeah, the Pathfinder. It's not like it's a more comfortable seat. So. Like if we compare Pilot to MDX, the Pilot has three across in the back. MDX has two. But what they do is for the MDX, they move the seatbelt closer so you get wider seats in the third mm. row. They didn't do that here. They just took the same seats and put a tray in the center. 
Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Like you, in, Infinity had an option to make this a really good product. I feel like they just they didn't have enough money, right? They put Infinity and Nissan. They put a lot of money in the Rogue, which is their best seller, and the Rogue is amazing. But then when they redid the Pathfinder, they didn't even have money to give it a better engine, a newer engine. Nothing wrong with the VQ that's there, but it's a VQ. It's old. And then with this, I just, I wished for more. I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I think the Pathfinder will do well, just given it's where it's priced. At, it at this do... point, most people are going to pick the Pathfinder over this. You're, it's going to be cheaper than this. It's going to have the same seats. It's going to have the same comfort levels as and this. And you're going to have a better dealer network, because that's the thing. It's, it's not, <laughs> there's no support for these this brand anymore and i don't know i'm i'm calling it now we won't see this brand in 10 years <laughs> all right i'm gonna set a reminder on my calendar yeah 20 2031 and see if infinity is still around because yeah. i i think it, it it's already past its expiry date as a brand and the company does not have money okay well think about it from a nissan perspective right we cannot we're putting money developing one car but you still have to spend a lot of money to make this second car and rather than doing that why don't we just save that money and put it into the one car that does kind of sell and make those products better and just screw the the pseudo luxury brand because we can't build a luxury and attractive enough luxury product quote unquote Mm -hmm. to draw them in because nissan's killing it right yeah and in a sense, and they could be even doing even better, um, because yeah, if you if you had that infinity resource directed back into Nissan, they could do even better. And I think that's a good segue into this week's video. Yeah, it definitely is because this week I had the 2021 Nissan Sentra for review. Um, it's a Sentra. So it's their economy sedan. It has a manual, which is actually kind of different and weird because chances is, you know, most people these days when they're buying economy sedans, they're not looking for a manual. I mean, even the brand new 2022 Civic, you can't even get that in the manual. It's automatic only. But Nissan was brave enough, I guess you can kind of say they're brave, to still provide a manual option with the Sentra. Super weird you're probably not interested in buying one and you probably never will buy one, but it's available for you. Yep. And this isn't like a base model Sentra. Like a lot of other automakers, like they get you a base model with a manual because everyone yeah, thinks manual. caps and manual. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, manual is like the cheap base model that really no one really buys, but this isn't, this is like almost top trim other than a fill, like a few bits and pieces. Yeah, so but you, you can get, get it in the base S trim and then the higher end SR, SR. which uh, SR, I guess that's the one you have there. Yep. Super attractive car. I think that is the, the game changer for Sentra is that it's no longer a car you're embarrassed to be seen in. Yeah. Even the cool ones, like the SERs, still kind of embarrassing to look at. Like the 04 <laughs> SER, like... As fun as that car seems like it might be, it looks really cheap. Yeah. This, on the other hand, it's got all of that Ultima styling, but kind of drizzled down into a smaller shell and just looks so good. And it, it it's a good look that I think will age well. Yeah. Like, that is that is really important. The interior, again, really clean, uh, pretty simple interior, mm-hmm. but it, it looks way nicer than the Corolla. Um, and it just, it seems like it will age well. I don't know. I, so looking at the Sentra, there's a lot of like civic vibes to me. So comparing this, the current gen, the 10th gen civic, mm-hmm. very similar vibes. And oh, I'm nice like, wheels, nice wheels. Pause, pause, pause. Oh, sorry. The, the fast FCO4. Yeah. Fast FCO4 for the, uh, Nissan, I guess it's cup the car. Sentra cup. Yeah. Yeah. Did uh, you know you can get a cup car for 40 K? Did you know you could get those wheels 18 inch for, Use the uh, promo code kicking tires for an extra 10% off. 
Where? <laughs> At overdriveautotuning.com. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to make your Sentra look like this Sentra, you can buy uh, you know where to go. FCO4, gloss black. Uh, it's actually very inexpensive as well. It's uh, 23000 Canadian dollars. So that like, is a lot of car for the money. You know, it's super affordable. And that's what Nissan's trying to sell this as. It's a good car to get into. And a lot of Nissan's like entire lineup is about cars that you just want to get into. Like your first car, the Nissan Kicks is great. The Sentra, that's also really great as like mm-hmm. first cars because they're relatively inexpensive. You can get pretty good rates from Nissan. They have a decent dealer network. Their warranty is half decent. Like mm-hmm. it's, it makes sense to buy this over like a used car where you're going to have reliability issues. And when something breaks, you don't know where to go. Like it just makes yeah. sense. Warranty and financing. Like those are great to have when you don't have a lot of money that, you know, some people are like, oh, use, you're going to save money in the long term. Some of us save money in the long term. Some of us pay up the, the <laughs> rear for for out of warranty repairs. And I think that there's definitely value there. And I think this gives the Koreans a good run for their money because yeah. that's where Nissan is. That's their sweet spot, right? That's They're undercutting your, your Toyota and your Honda. And they're just giving you something that's, a little bit better value and it's kind of its own thing and something that's um what was i gonna say the uh i do like the styling in the sense that it's very cohesive across the brand like, you know i've mm. talking about it the last few weeks on this podcast and i think that's really important because i know a lot of young buyers you know you get you move up you know because when you're shopping for this kind of car you're working jobs that you know there's a lot of movement as far as like what you're making now and maybe what you'll be making in two years maybe you want to end your lease a little bit early and get into and that's how a lot of dealers will will attract you to get the new car is that hey we notice you know you have a little bit positive equity on this we'll waive your transfer fees and whatever your buyout early buyout what have you we'll get you into new ultima or the new maxima or the new rogue and just give you something that feels that you're proud more proud to own something that's fresh and because you're used to this infotainment system this steering wheel uh, <laughs> you know if you want to get into the the the, the, the what was that car just now the qx60 <laughs> you know it's like it kind of makes sense um okay not the qx60 but going from the Sentra <laughs> up to a rogue rogue yeah i think that is where okay my family's growing and i'm still two years into my four-year lease um but i like the way my car looks i like everything about it so far it's been a really great experience. like the service manager that you deal with and he's yeah, super nice to you especially at applewood <laughs> <laughs> shout out to applewood nissan <laughs> richmond uh good good service team there good sales team too actually they do have a really good sales team shout out to herman yeah i you know i I went there and i i test drove a leaf and they were all super nice and their manager was super nice and i had the leaf not been a total pile of crap (laughs) i would have I wanted to give them my business. I'll I'll edit that part out when I let Herman know about this. No, no. (laughs) They know their they know their electric car is not competitive. Like at the end of the day, like it it is it is what it is. Like with the ID four and like the model three, it's just like there's no reason to really consider Well, that's why Nissan's making the new electric area aura or something i can't remember what it's exactly called but they're making a new electric suv yeah and that's going to be super competitive yeah so sr manual how this obviously isn't ser back in the day (laughs) it's 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 let's be honest um if you're buying this you're learning manual then it's fine if you're buying this as like oh somewhat of a sportier sedan don't it's a very rubbery manual it's the throws are relatively long. They're not as crisp as you want. It's it's not a great manual driving experience, <laughs> but it's a great manual learning experience. But here's the thing: you gotta put ourselves. We've been we've been messing with cars for over a decade. We gotta put yourself back into when you were 17, and 
<laughs> and this oh. car, if you've never driven anything else, how would that? Oh, it'd be amazing. Because yeah. when I was 17, I learned manual on an EG Civic SI uh, with very worn out bushings, which means that I had no idea what, like, yeah. which gear I was in. Because I can be in first and I can still wiggle it left to right like yeah. four or five inches. <laughs> and, think of, and think about it now that as a parent, if you want to buy your kid a sporty-ish car um, and um, you just want them to learn manual because it is it is a useful technique. Get them something they can finance affordably. Maybe help them out with a down payment towards yes. this. And uh, something that's got all the safety tech. Yeah. Well, all everything you really need. Yeah. And a decent interior, decent warranty, everything, and looks sporty, but is not too fast. Yeah. Um, because that <laughs> a lot of new cars are too fast. Like even I drive the Civic Turbo, and I feel like it's a little bit too fast sometimes. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like <laughs> those cars. I think the modern like. The modern Civic Turbo or a Mazda 3 Turbo, like these cars are fast. Like, yeah. And they're fast without really thinking about it. Like, without you look trying. down and you're, you're, you look down and you're at impound speeds. Yeah. Sometimes because yeah. the new cars are so quiet. They're so isolated. There's kind of numb, to be honest. Um, and that's the thing is when you were driving an EG, like EG going 40 feels like you're going 100. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, yeah. and, you know that that's got its own safety, but I think this is a good middle ground for something that's kind of sweet. And you know, you could modify a little, put some FCO fours on it, lower it a little. It will be, <laughs> it'll look kind of cool. Like it's not something that you'd be embarrassed to own. No, definitely. And not. and as a 17, 18 year old, I think it's a really, it's a it's kind of a nice car, and it's got a good trunk, yeah. decent back seat. Yeah. Uh, I, I look at this because I see the, the Corolla. Corolla's got their manual, right? With their intelligent manual technology or whatever they call it. Oh, the I think uh, it's only on the base Corolla. Yeah, and then there's the Apex edition. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. The Apex. <laughs> yeah. The, the and then Apex they have the, man, uh, the hatchback as well. Right. Um, but the Corolla, I think, does not, I don't know, visually does not excite me like this car. Yeah, uh, I think the Sentra just a way better looking car. Uh, the Corolla hatch is is very good looking, but it's it's almost useless. Like the the hatch is so small. Yeah, and the back seat is so cramped, and it just makes you feel claustrophobic inside. I like what they've done with the lighter color headliner too on this one. I just noticed that. Yeah, uh, it really helps to just brighten up the place. Brighten up that interior. It just feels bigger as well. Yeah, because the car is realistically it's not that big but there's no small cars are so big these days that it's uh the use of space has is really good and uh it's yeah i like this car a lot <laughs> i do as well like I, I definitely don't feel like it's like just a base bargain type vehicle anymore i feel like this is definitely something that people can step into and be happy with um because if you think back like 10 20 years ago the Sentra was definitely not there yeah, Sentra had a rough decade at least since the CVT, all the CVT issues. Like, and yeah. you know what, Nissan's—they picked a good time to kind of save this brand because I think there's a lot of people that still uh, recognize Nissan to be, you know, uh, a normal brand. It's not a budget, you know, you're not a cheap, whatever because you're buying a Nissan. I think there's still some, there's some street cred to this brand. Not yeah. not like street cred, not like it's cool or anything, but they do have some cool cars. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with the new 400 and the, uh, the R35 still being a thing, but they do have some, um, that brand value is there that you don't have to look at it and be like, oh, that guy, that guy cheaped out. He bought a Nissan. Yeah. And I think, I think for many years, like looking at their used car prices, they really struggled there because the CVT is just, no one wants to touch it, right? Because ultimately, you know, this car versus an Apex Edition Corolla, it's a few grand. But if you asked me six years ago, 
whether to buy this versus the Corolla, I would say the Corolla all day because that three, three, four grand that you save up front, you're getting that back in the long term in terms of resale value. But uh, I don't know anymore. I mean, with the, especially with a manual. Like, a 2015 Corolla is pretty bad. It's not as bad <laughs> as the CVT. Not as bad as the CVT uh, Centra. Centra's. Yeah, CVT Centra. Yeah, the, CVT okay. Versa's. Holy. Yeah. CVT Versa. You can get a very new one for six grand. Yeah. <laughs> like, like not very old. And it's just like no one wants to touch those cars with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Um, Corolla's got their issues too. Like, I think everyone had a rough late or early 2010 to like 2015. <laughs> But uh, Nissan had it pretty bad with their CVT. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it for this week, unless there's anything else you want to go over? No, I think uh, we covered all the uh, big news stories for this week. Oh, uh, Nürburgring news. You know, I should have mentioned this earlier. Yeah. But uh, the first corner at the Nürburgring officially is the uh, Sabine Schmitz corner. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's huge because Nürburgring, honestly, a lot of people, like, I'm not really, like, a motorsports fan. I don't follow racing in any way. Like, as much as I track and I I like to drive, I don't really care about motorsports, but I wouldn't really care about the Nürburgring either had it not been for that Ford Transit and the ring taxi stuff. Like, Savid Schmidt's real inspiration. Like, um, just an icon of... Our generation. I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah, sorely missed. All right. Well, leaving it on a little bit of a sadder note, but we'll be back next week with auto news and a whole bunch more. And we'll talk to you then. No bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>